Welcome to episode four of the Unpacking Weight Science podcast called Weight Bias, Stigma and Discrimination. I'm your host, Fiona Willer, weight neutral professional development dietitian, academic and size acceptance advocate. This episode defines the terms, discusses their impact on healthcare, society and the lives of the people who are impacted by weight centrum. So our learning goals are... To recognise the differences in the definitions of weight bias, weight stigma, weight discrimination and weight-based oppression. To understand the consequences of weight bias for the health system and the individuals who access that health care. And appreciate strategies that will reduce weight-based stigma and discrimination in a healthcare setting. So this idea that people have about larger bodies being a bad thing is reinforced in multiple domains to the point that it's seamless and feels like an immutable truth. When we discuss or address weight bias, we have to do so with an awareness of the breadth of discourses which use body shape as a symbol. Broadly, these are human physiology, which includes the more medico-objective measures of health and disease, the beauty, aesthetic domain, morality, economics in terms of productivity and cost, and human rights and the concept of self-autonomy. You'll find that it's a bit like peeling back an onion, as these beliefs appear to be layered over one another, expressing concern about somebody's health based on your your assessment of the way they look when you don't actually know the person is usually hiding aesthetic values. So usually we eventually need to unpick all of these closely held beliefs before we can truly embrace size acceptance. People in larger bodies are often infantized, so not given a voice to speak about themselves, They're assumed that their bodily aberrations are as a result of being poorly educated or unintelligent, that is, not a fully actualised human, or that they don't have the power to make health decisions. They're assumed to be lazy, which of course implies that they have the choice to be lazy, which contradicts the first one, but hey, if rationality was a strong innate human trait, we wouldn't be where we are. So health concerns are the most socially acceptable way to push back against size acceptance, but often hide a multitude of other fat-hating attitudes, and this can include by people in larger bodies themselves and people who were formerly in larger bodies, but who are those who've managed to white-knuckle weight loss maintenance and often have had to change their career to one in personal training um, in order to maintain that. And uh, quite frequently they have a book deal or a blog or an Instagram account to keep the, keep them up, keep it up, keep them accountable. So let's look at weight bias, stigma, discrimination, and and oppression. So uh, these terms are sometimes used interchangeably, particularly weight stigma and weight bias, and they're sometimes used interchangeably by academics and groups who claim to fight against stigma. Um, so just be wary of that. There are five main terms that I'll discuss today, and it's important to understand that. Uh, these terms are also directional, so they're able to be both enacted against or towards others, as well as turned in inwards towards the self. So if we start with weight bias, so a person or a culture can have a weight bias, and this is basically a, a bias is a belief or preference for or against something. And in this case, it is a belief and preference uh, against particular body shapes and for other types of body shapes and again it can be internalized pertaining to the to the self or externalized pertaining to others so for example um, a person may have a belief that 
um, straight up and down legs are good and any legs that don't follow that particular pattern are not good and so um, that they can feel that way about others and about what they prefer to look at and about what they think is good uh, and um, they may also feel that about themselves and that may be that they like the legs that they have because they feel that their legs are straight up and down um, or that they don't like the legs that they have because their legs are not straight up and down so it's that directional thing that's quite important that's weight bias. It's just a preference either way. And then a person can experience weight stigma. And that is a negative social impact of weight bias. Something that enacts negative bias is stigmatizing. Something that's enacting stigma is stigmatizing. So that may be things like a weight centric policy, making a disparaging comment, sharing a negative belief, or using a dehumanizing image. Um, when talking about people in larger bodies. There's lots of different ways that things can be stigmatizing. So weight bias, as I mentioned before, it can be enacted by individuals and it can also be enacted by a culture and it can be enacted by a society as well. Um, weight stigma is experienced by individuals. So weight stigma is not experienced by, um, for example, organizations. It's only individuals can, that can experience that stigma. Um, and uh, it's basically the negative uh, impact that can include being heckled, verbally abused by strangers, having less social currency, um, less ability to be employed in areas that would otherwise be open to them if they had a different body shape, that sort of situation. So that's weight stigma in general. But when we break it down to externalised and internalised, externalised weight stigma is when an individual feels like somebody in a particular body shape doesn't deserve to access areas uh, of life. And internalised weight stigma is the inward facing version of that sentiment. So they don't feel that they deserve access uh, to certain areas of life because of their body shapes. Very negative appraisal of them, their body shape, and they feel like they should self censor their access to the world. Weight prejudice is enacted by individuals. And a prejudice is an inflexible and rational attitudes or, or opinions held by members of one weight-based group about another weight-based group. So it may be uh, inflexible and irrational attitudes and opinions held by thinner people about larger people. And if you want to see an example of that, you just need to have a look at literally any comments section underneath any article or blog that uh, suggests that size acceptance is a good thing to do or in fact suggests that somebody in a larger body can be fit and healthy which of course is possible but you'll see people who hold weight prejudice come out in those comment sections quite clearly. Uh, good reason not to read the comments if that you find that particularly upsetting and I totally understand that. I do tend to read the comments because I find it fascinating and I want to uh, I want to see what lenses those people are using. Are they using the health lens? Are they using the aesthetic lens? What's going on in there? But that's just me. <laughs> if it upsets you to read them, don't read them. They are absolutely riddled with prejudice. Uh, then moving on to weight-based discrimination. So weight-based discrimination can be enacted by individuals, groups, organizations, or entire systems. 
And that is where behaviours, positive or negative, are directed against another group, uh, in this case delineated by body size. And it's things like delaying medical treatments based on BMI rather than a functional assessment. Basically, any situation where a area of life that is open for a thinner person is uh, not open for somebody in a larger body. And uh, often they'll make the argument that that's based on merit uh, without it actually being tested. And of course, that is a case of pure discrimination. And we have anti-discrimination laws in most westernised countries, but unfortunately they don't cover body shape-based discrimination. Um, which is a shame. I mean, I think there is a case. It's just a pity that more uh, cases aren't brought to, into the courts. But um, appearance-based discrimination is written into many codes of law. Uh, but people don't tend to get a lot of traction when it's about um, body size-based appearance. Uh, we do need to change that. If anyone has got any influential colleagues or has any influence themselves on uh, legislation around um, anti-discrimination measures, it would be brilliant uh, to have body size or body appearance brought into that legislation. And then finally, weight-based oppression. So oppression, in Australia, we don't tend to use that word very much. Uh, it's a much more familiarly used term uh, in North America. But weight-based oppression occurs uh, at the action of groups, organisations or systems which use their sy systematic power in an unfair and inhumane manner to marginalise people and groups with larger bodies. Um, one example of that is these so-called obesity societies who um, pay lip service to existing to help people in larger bodies and yet are manned mostly by people whose uh, research job or professional job involves trying to um, eradicate larger bodies from the face of the earth. And one way that they can enact that weight-based oppression is to fail to elevate the voices of people classed as obese um, who are not happy after they've received their weight loss surgery. And uh, also others who are living quite happily and contentedly in larger bodies and in good health. Those people are not typically held up by obesity societies as good voices in their community. They tend to only want to hear from people who don't want to be larger anymore and who are willing to undergo experimental procedures um, to, the, to the benefit of the people who are in the obesity societies uh, in order to try to make them not larger anymore. Also, uh, cases of oppression where workplaces who employ only thinner people, uh, governments who enact policies that mean that larger people are uh, not heard properly, who are not given access to the sorts of evidence-based treatments that smaller people get uh, for no reason other than uh, fat fear. So looking at what sort of types of professions and work are perpetuating weight bias. Um, if your work involves intentionally 
moving towards or encouraging body weight reduction, then you are conducting anti-obesity work and thus perpetuating weight bias. No matter how nice you're being about it, if the point of your service is to try to help larger bodies become smaller bodies, then you're perpetuating weight bias by definition. And this can include any diet or exercise prescription where the intention is body weight or shape change. It can include counselling for eating control, lifestyle interventions where weight loss is celebrated, even if it isn't the point of the um, intervention of the program or whatever. If that program or the people who facilitate that program celebrate weight loss, if it happens for somebody in that program, then that is perpetuating weight bias. Bariatric surgery obviously is highly weight biased. Weight loss drugs also obviously highly weight biased. Um, but so is eating disorder counselling that concurrently aims to reduce weight. So there are people in larger bodies who suffer from eating disorders and uh, the same sort of eating disorder when it occurs in a smaller person um, that receives much less weight-centric counselling than somebody in a larger body. So there's this... Uh, practice sort of norm at the moment unfortunately in eating disorder treatment where the aim tends to be that they're trying to kill two birds with one stone they're trying to both uh, stop the distress from the eating disorder so get rid of the eating disorder and somebody in a larger body but also lose weight because the feeling is well it's their weight that's causing them to feel terrible about themselves therefore if they lost weight they wouldn't feel so terrible about themselves and that would help to stop the eating disorder but of course that sort of topsy-turvy, the problem is the weight bias. It's not that the person, you know, you're not going to relieve body image by changing your body. The body image is a, it's a mental phenomenon. It's nothing that, you know, it's not the body's fault that the person feels terrible about their body. Um, diet culture, veneration of diet or activity for heroic purpose is obviously weight biased. Um, it's also the sociocultural ideal of a thin body or narrow acceptable female acceptance uh, appearance standards. Um, obviously all commercial weight loss programs and products are weight centric and perpetuate weight bias, um, but also obesity prevention and obesity management campaigns. So true obesity health work focuses on enhancing the health outcomes of people in larger bodies without doing it via weight loss, similar to the way that we enhance health in older adults or people with chronic illness or disability. Not that I'm comparing being in a larger body to something that's pathological, but in terms of the approach that we should be taking, you know, we've tried this trick of weight loss. It doesn't work. Can we not, can we not have some more? Uh, tools in our tool book, toolbox to help people uh, who want to receive um, assistance supporting their uh, health outcome enhancement. So weight stigma and the impact of weight stigma in healthcare. Well, the impact that that weight bias held by uh, the health professionals in the um, health professional medical counselling situation is that people end up feeling berated and disrespected by their providers. They feel upset by comments about their weight from doctors, particularly if it's unsolicited. They go in for something else and the doctor gives them a hard time about their weight or mentions it, you know. Um, they perceive that they won't be taken seriously and that is totally rational because we have uh, in the scientific literature proof that doctors don't take people in larger bodies seriously at times. So, you know, uh, all of these 
accounts of the experience of weight stigma are actually really rational given that the healthcare providers are enacting stigmatizing uh, situations upon them and very open in their weight bias. People report that they feel like their weight is blamed for all of their problems, even problems that people in thinner bodies get tend to be blamed uh, on a larger body size first before um, the sorts of diagnostic tests and so forth are are conducted. Um, They feel reluctant to address their weight concerns uh, because, you know, there's a lot more to someone wanting to lose weight than just them wanting to lose weight, what's going on underneath there. And if the doctor is quite um, simplistic and dismissive, then that causes a rupture to that therapeutic relationship that could otherwise be very um, good for the client and for the doctor to learn. Um, parents of larger children feel blamed and dismissed, totally understandable, and individuals feel blamed for their weight status, even though it is clear in the literature that people who do uh, research on the social determinants of health and who do uh, more weight-neutral obesity research know full well how um, multifaceted the factors that influence body weight um, are, but it hasn't really trickled down to the health provider level yet. I mean, obviously there are health providers who are t- completely cognizant of this research, but many who hold these really tightly held weight bias and weight prejudice beliefs for themselves tend to not even realise that they're projecting all this stuff all over their clients. Like, they, they, why would they go and look at research that's counter to the way that they believe if it's completely, you know, if if they can get away with uh, behaving in their clinic in a way that feels normal to them based on their own prejudices. And all of that hijacks client-centred healthcare. So there are four main uh, outcomes that happen with weight bias in healthcare. We've got missed identification. The second one is patient or client avoidance. The third one is over-treating. And the fourth one is medication or treatment inconsistency. So I'm going to go through them in a bit of detail now. So the first one, missed identification. So they have they miss confounders. They miss the actual reason for somebody's health concern because they don't do uh, enough lifestyle assessment or mental health assessment. No screening for disordered eating or body image disturbances. Um, And instead, in a larger person, particularly someone who um, is trying to restrict constantly, uh, that is seen as good or normal. Whereas if that occurred in a smaller person or when that occurs in a smaller person, we see that as quite pathological. And I mean, the reality is it is pathological in the larger person as well. But these behaviours are condoned for um, people in larger bodies by health providers um, who don't realise that it's really um, unhelpful for a human to live that way. Uh, And misidentification of uh, conditions when they're blamed on somebody's body weight. So for the the classic example is gynecological cancers where gastrointestinal symptoms are vanished away uh, by saying, oh, well, if you just cleaned up your diet, um, your guts would work better. You wouldn't feel this way. Um, And that, you know, although it doesn't completely miss diagnose it means that there's a delay in proper diagnosis the person goes away feels terrible about themselves does try to do some different things to their diet months down the track maybe they have lost weight 
Um, they're still having symptoms. Doctor looks further. Oh, whoops. Perhaps I should have investigated that six months ago when you said the same symptoms to me. So that's how it happens. Nobody means for it to happen, but this weight bias means and, and a focus on um, trying to make larger bodies smaller ends up with the outcome of delayed or missed diagnosis of seriously life-limiting things. The second one, patient or client avoidance. So they avoid presenting for healthcare. They avoid sharing their personal struggles. They avoid screening appointments. They avoid treatment appointments and follow-up if there's a weight-centric attitude. So you've got people, so their healthcare providers are saying, you need to lose weight. The person has desperately been trying to do that for the last 20 years, remembers how weight-focused their healthcare provider was last time they saw them. They don't want to go to them again. They don't want to put their legs up in order to get a pap smear and be afraid that they're going to be um, confronted about their failure to lose weight yet again while they're in a very vulnerable position. Um, they don't want to front up to the surgeon who did their gastric bypass or gastric sleeve operation two years ago because they've put back all the weight that they had initially lost after that treatment because they're ashamed of it. They don't want to disappoint their healthcare provider. And that, because of the pressure pa placed upon patients uh, around their weight, that does cause people to avoid going back. Then, of course, uh, and of course, the avoidance also means delayed or missed diagnoses in the long term. And of course, when a larger person dies of that cancer that wasn't picked up soon enough, that mark against the cancer goes against obesity rather than um, there being any acknowledgement that it was, in fact, the delayed diagnosis that was causing the that hastened the death of the person rather than um, the weight itself. So the the reporting data is all mixed up because of these social factors. The third one, over-treating. So for the people in larger bodies who do engage with the health system, so they take those referrals to the weight loss programs, they take the referrals to the dietitian um, that are, you know, like um, rebated by the government in some places in the world, um, they do uh, so use up government resources trying to lose weight, which we know is ineffective. They also use their own financial and time and emotional resources trying to do that in their own life, off their own backs, using commercial weight loss products, um, programs, etc. Um, and really, it doesn't, you know, they, they make this case that somebody in a larger body needs a lifetime uh, treatment intervention but they make it so themselves by insisting on increased you know continued engagement but if it's continued engagement with a completely ineffective program and they're spruiking this lifetime intervention model that is a whole heap of money down the drain and a whole heap of emotional resources and a whole heap of time that is wasted on that and the fourth one is medication and treatment inconsistencies so drugs are not unfortunately, not often trialed in people with larger bodies um, because it's, you know, they, with the populations that drugs are trialed in, they keep their inclusion criteria pretty tight so that they can see if the drug actually has a, um, an effect on that condition 
uh, or for that person, for the people in their study. And if they make their inclusion criteria really wide and include people from all across the weight spectrum, they're less likely to get a nice, neat result. It's partly the reason they're not tested in larger bodies. Uh, the other reason is that they're not actively, they don't tend to actively seek people in larger bodies to test medication in. And of course, that means that we... We, we may know the half-life and all the rest of the pharmacological impacts of that drug in a smaller body, but larger bodies are of different body composition um, and we do need to know whether the dose-response relationship is the same for that medication in a larger body. Perhaps the dosing needs to be different or perhaps that drug is ineffective, um, becomes you know more and more ineffective as weight the across the weight spectrum we need to know that for example the morning after pill gets more and more ineffective the larger the woman's body and so you know that leads to a whole heap of inequity in access to um, family planning and birth control um, options for people in larger bodies as well so much unethical and unjust ramifications for medical weight bias so what can you do to help as a health professional, as a counselling professional. You can listen to your patients or listen to your clients' experiences relating to their weight and really listen. Don't assume um, that you know what their life is like because of what you're projecting onto them, but really listen to them and their experiences of weight bias and discrimination and stigma. Advertise your services as a size acceptance or health at every size clinician. You know, put it up, put it in your policies. Um, Put it on posters, on walls, on your invoices and handouts that all sizes are welcome at your clinic. Um, you may even put a, a disclaimer in the initial sign-up information, something like, at your initial visit, we will ask you if you would like to talk about your weight. This is a weight-inclusive practice where we encourage health enhancement through health-related behaviours without the expectation of weight loss. If you would prefer not to discuss your weight, that will be marked on your file and we won't mention it again unless you do. You know, because every uh, mo most healthcare practices are weight-biased against people in larger bodies, uh, even if they don't think that they are, you know, if you don't have anything about the fact that you're size inclusive on your signage or any of the stuff that uh, people come in contact with, it will be assumed that you are weight biased. So you really have to shout from the rooftops. Um, what else can you do? So use health behavior, function and biochemical screening without preempting judgment on the basis of BMI for people of all weights. So, uh, you know, the, the other side of the coin of having a bias against larger bodies is that people in smaller bodies sometimes fly under the radar. So, you know, as a, a health or counseling professional, our job is to try to raise up, enhance those health outcomes for everyone we come in contact with. But if we're assuming that people in smaller bodies have great diets and live an active lifestyle, we are also wrong. So make sure that you're doing these broad screenings and these, you know, proper conversations about lifestyle with everyone, not just with people in larger bodies. Focus on disease management without weight loss as a goal, instead focusing on self-determined improvements in eating and activity patterns informed by scientific research findings. 
have equipment and clinical setup which is appropriate for larger bodies and set as the norm. And that includes chairs, examination tables, specular, uh, blood pressure cuffs, all the bits that you need to, um, in your investigations of bodies, need to, as a standard, be able to uh, include everyone uh, who comes into your clinic. Share the evidence of long-term ineffectiveness of intentional weight loss and the benefits of size acceptance and health-promoting behaviours with your patients, clients, colleagues, everyone you meet. Be very open about it because that is the way it spreads. Remove stigmatising elements from your practice. So posters, flyers, magazines, any which demonise larger bodies um, or depict larger bodies in a dehumanised way, for example, without their heads in the image or that talk about the negative impacts of obesity as if it's just a behaviour that people can change. Uh, Cease policies which discriminate arbitrarily based on size and search for treatments shown to be superior for larger bodies. Display images of people in diverse bodies doing healthy and normal things if you're going to display images of bodies at all. Ask your clients how you can make them feel more comfortable in your service. Put pressure on your pharmacological reps to provide efficacy and safety information for their medications when they're used by people in larger bodies. Really put pressure on those reps. They need to be able to tell you what the impact is for larger people. And work with a multidisciplinary team where indicated, all of whom should take a weight neutral approach so that somebody comes into your care and has a seamless experience. Everyone is talking from the same uh, playbook. There's not one of the uh, healthcare providers who is encouraging weight loss and inconsistent with with everyone else. Okay, well, that is our uh, episode today on weight bias, discrimination and uh, and weight stigma. Hope you've enjoyed it. Next week, I will be talking about the anatomy of a weight loss paper. So picking it apart, telling you where to look, what to look for and how to see the devil in the detail. As always, the supporting materials, which include the show notes, research links and self-test quiz are available up front for current subscribers, only five bucks a month, total bargain, or can be purchased in a bundle if you're catching up later. See unpackingweightscience.com for details. Have a great day.